It's the Kyle Hyman Show on Redeemer Radio. He was more devout, and he said this. He said, I consider the intelligence of the Potter omnipotence, and I say, what can I do better than he? Then I strive to forget our predecessors, and I ask of creation that she alone become known to me. You can't talk about art history without seeing the impact Catholicism has had on art and the impact that art has had on Catholicism. It's time for our monthly art history lesson with Charles and Amanda Shepard from the Fort Wayne Museum of Art. Welcome back to another Catholic art history lesson. I'm excited to learn about the painting that we have here. Uh, We actually have two paintings to look at. Yep. Yep. One is a, I wouldn't say a copy, a derivative. Well, it's called a copy. And by okay. all accounts, I would say it's a copy. It's done in the artist's own style, but the composition is almost identical. Mm-hmm. Um, he's taken some liberties on colors and style, but the figures. Well, definitely style. Yeah, yeah. So we're talking about a painting by Paul Cezanne, who was considered by Matisse and Picasso as the father of us all, the father of modern art. And he was working in the mid to late 19th century, which is where we see the birth of modernism in art. And it can be characterized as trying out new styles, not faithfully representing nature realistically, breaking from the academic style, the very highly technical styles, and introducing more expressive, abstract styles as we get further into the 20th century. So... Cezanne was really seen as the father of a lot of the movements of the 20th century. Well, and and this whole notion about moving toward expressive art and using color and line to not only express yourself, but to make an impact, a bigger impact on the viewer than illusionistic art, which preceded it. And You might find a modernist arguing, well, the older art is more accurate. It's an illusion, so it's not truthfully accurate. Uh And on top of that, it's all about being pretty. It's all about looking beautiful. And the realistic art that directly preceded these modernists tended to be, while it was realistic, it really was kind of idealistic. So it actually was very pretty. Right. And it made it very popular. And these guys are saying, you know, you're missing the raw emotional power that art really has, and I'm going to show you how to get it. And Cezanne is sort of the first serious experimenter. He has a series of landscapes that he began early on that start looking very realistic. And about a month later, it's less realistic. And by the time you get to the fifth or sixth painting, the landscapes look like they're kind of broken up into squares mm-hmm. even. It's the same mountain range. He just keeps painting the same <laughs> mountain range, but it's broken up into squares. Well, that's what Picasso looked at and said, hey, cubism, I'll do that. Right. He was interested in observing nature as it was, but was interested in simplifying nature down to cubes, cylinders, cones, and spheres. Okay. So for example, an apple would be reduced to a sphere or a tree reduced to a cylinder. And that's where you get nature being observed, but they're observing it down to its essential forms. Okay. So like Charles said, a mountain is a triangle. Mm-hmm. And 
we can look at abstraction in that way in a lot of cases. You, you look at something you're like, I don't see anything. I don't understand it. It's like, well, you know, it's nature that's been completely simplified down to very basic elements. Mm -hmm. And no, we don't see a literal apple in front of us, but the artist is suggesting an apple form and maybe there's a dab of red there to suggest an apple, but he's uh -huh. not trying to force you to see the apple as he sees it, so to speak. Okay. So Cezanne was a Catholic. He wasn't a practicing Catholic until later in his life. And we should all remember too that most European artists coming out of the 17th, 18th, 19th centuries were Catholic. So it shouldn't shock us. <laughs> That's the tradition that they're coming from. Um, Let's talk about the paintings for a minute. He made a copy of an earlier painting by Sebastiano del Piombo, which is done in 1516, of Christ in Limbo, which comes from the first letter to Peter, which says, For this is why the gospel was preached even to the dead, that though judged in the flesh like men, they might live in the spirit like God. So that scene is Christ descended to the dead and he's speaking to them he's preaching to them which we hear in the creed sure right? he descended yes into hell. Exactly. yes and and to see that sort of personified and illustrated is really interesting because it's like really did he really do that i feel like it's a rare thing to talk about or to see images about or yes. yeah but we say it every mass <laughs> right. and and I, I when you stop and think about it and you think like he went to the depths he yeah. went everywhere and this painting represents that and you know, the 1516 painting is quite beautiful. Christ's skin is really luminous and pure and his garment is clean and his wounds are healed to a certain extent. And he's very graciously putting out his hand to the people in limbo. And um, it's been said that the two figures that we see are Adam and Eve, which oh, okay. would represent all people mm -hmm. that have died before Christ came. So he's bathed in this beautiful soft light and they're sort of in this kind of reddish dark um, tomb looking area. Mm -hmm. So Cezanne gets a hold of this image and does the same scene. And it was actually painted during a time that historians call his dark period. I think he was given to depression and maybe some dark emotions and kind of separated himself from his other artist colleagues, and he painted in these really dark, gritty style. He's maintained the entire composition. Christ is in the same position in his painting, uh, which was done in 1867, but he's wearing a crimson red robe, whereas in the first painting he's wearing a snow white robe, and his features are a lot I don't know, gritty, I guess. Mm -hmm. might be. It's a gritty atmosphere. It's been said that he painted a lot with his palette knife. And a palette knife is, it's kind of like a- It's like going to be very thick paint. Like a small spatula. And you paint, you kind of- Like a, like a putty knife. Yeah, you, kind of thing. you yeah. knife it on. So you're not going to get any smooth strokes. You're going to have a lot of, kind of like when you make a peanut butter sandwich, you're going to have like <laughs> these, like waves of paint. Uh -huh. um, and- much like other modern artists of the time, a lot of dark outlines, dark and deep shadows. But again, Christ is bathed in the light that sort of gives us the definition of the rest of the painting. Well, and even if you look at Jesus and Adam, like their muscles, 
because it's basically mm-hmm. like white and black, mm-hmm. they're just super defined mm-hmm. and, yes. and they stand out versus the original is everything's so smooth and yeah. you almost don't, you don't have that definition. No. And they almost look like they've been sculpted in Cezanne's painting. Um, right. Yeah. Like it yeah, almost like, looks like a rock carving. It, it does. There's just body to it yeah. that is really distinctive in his work. So I've heard criticism of modern Christianity, well, just Christianity in general, maybe, of kind of like feminizing things and mm-hmm. feminizing Jesus and Jesus always looking pretty mm-hmm. and, and a little soft. effeminate. And mm-hmm. yeah. I would say that original painting, like he does, he's like, he's gentle and mm-hmm. smooth skin mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and kind of pretty. But he's pretty muscular in the first. I mean, yeah. yeah, his face, he has soft features, but. Little rosy cheeks. He's, he's still pretty muscular. <laughs> little- um, and yeah, we often think of the gentleness of Christ, but it's kind of this, it, it's infused with a whole lot of strength. I, I can't think of a better way to put mm-hmm. it. And if you have to read the Gospels in both ways. You can't right. just think of the the gentle shepherd you have to also think of the man who turned over tables right and cast out demons well and when you're talking about going into hell mm-hmm. like that's a gritty scene i yeah. imagine like yeah. that's not <laughs> yeah it was a beautiful moment yeah no doubt yeah. But, but also like i feel like the copy yeah really kind of gets more into that you keep on saying gritty yeah but, you know like, it's a right. little more but rough. you know if you look at his hand you know, in both paintings, you would think that maybe he'd be like, like shaking his like. What What would you do, Kyle, if you were going down into hell to slay some dragons? You'd put <laughs> your armor in and on out as fast as possible. <laughs> put your <laughs> armor on, hazmat suit, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus is barely clothed. He's stepping delicately down onto the tomb, and his hand is is in sort of a relaxed position mm-hmm. he's preaching to them he's ministering to them but his hand is like sort of it's not clenched not a right. clenched fist he's not pointing he's not casting anything right um you know his it looks mus- more like you're giving a blessing like if a, a priest was he does putting his hand over somebody yes like, ob- yes offering exactly. absolution after right. a confession you right. know, or something like that and if we believe in the truth of that which we do it's more powerful than anything in the world but it's a gentle gesture mm-hmm. So I don't know that we should look at the gesture to point to the power of what he's doing. We have to look at who the person of Christ is. Well, and and Cezanne, as we've just observed, he's not worried about conveying that gentleness. He he's conveying both in the in the red garment and in Jesus' physicality. There's some power there. I'm here and I'm reaching out to you. But I have some power over this situation. Mm-hmm. And wait for three days, and you'll see. Yeah, you know, and and you can come too. Uh huh. The other thing you mentioned the red in Cezanne's painting. Everything else is pretty much black and white, or black and light gray, yeah. off white. Yeah, it is. So there's a lot more dramatic, just in that kind of black and white with the sharp red cutting through. And I was not able to find why he did that. You know, maybe he was trying to convey some of the intensity and and to differentiate the skin of Christ from his robe, hmm. possibly. Well, and and you know, a thing that's true of of modern artists, 
is that they're going to cut to the chase, so to speak. Whereas an earlier artist uh, like Seb Sebastiano is he's going to use every square inch of that canvas to tell you subtle other background things. And that was a, a really uh, honored way to proceed if you were a good Italian artist 100 years before Cezanne that, or, or French artist for that matter or even German. But the, the notion is that, you know what, I've got this story going on in the foreground, but in the background I've got all these clues and hints and I'm, the better the artist, the more clues and hints you would put in. Now, a modern artist says, skip the clues and hints, get right to the point here. And Jesus and these, this couple, that's the point of this painting. And I'm not fooling around here with, you know, the little <laughs> red of, of hint of the fires in the background and uh -huh. the character who's behind Jesus holding the cross. You know, let, we're not going to make that much out of that. I want your eye to go right here. And that red you know, the cloak is almost on the diagonal. So it activates the picture plane and takes you right past Jesus' um, right leg into the, the face of of this gentleman he's going to reach out to. Mm -hmm. So if, if, you, if you missed it with the hand, <laughs> he's going to reinforce it with the, the mm -hmm. cloak. Let's talk for a minute about those figures in the background. So in both paintings, there are two men and one of them appears to be holding the cross. And they're 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 talking to each other like, wait a minute, he died. What is he doing? Yeah, you know, yeah. and 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 they serve as um, parts of the story. You know, I don't think that there were actually people behind Jesus talking about, hey, he's dead. What is he doing down in hell? But as an artist, you need to illustrate the shock of that action. I, I guess the power of. Jesus Christ and descending to hell and ministering to the dead. And, and these two guys behind him are like, how is that possible? Mm -hmm. You know, that's the whole argument against Christianity. How is this possible? Uh -huh. It's not possible because I can't see it. I can't tell with my own, you know, experiments and thoughts and what's in front of me. And, and they're like clinging to this cross, like, look, this cross kills. And, you know, Jesus is very um, delicately holding onto a reed and, gently putting his hand out. And so those two figures are tension in the scene and Jesus just calmly walks past them. Right. <laughs> yeah. I want to say one more thing about Cezanne. In, in late in life, he was more devout and he said this. He said, I consider the intelligence of the Pater Omnipotens and I say, what can I do better than he? Then I strive to forget our predecessors, and I ask of creation that she alone become known to me. Hmm. In a way, I think that sums up modernism. A lot of artists, you know, wanted this very personal relationship with their art. They wanted to do something new that had not been done before them. Uh -huh. They were not going to be looking to the traditional, they weren't going to be in workshops learning from the master. Uh, it's not that they weren't going to school, but they were going to develop their own style. And it's part of the reason why in the 20th century we see all the isms, the new styles, that these artists were going to be sort of reinventing art with every 10 or 15 or 20 years. Well, and you also have to consider in, in the midst of this changeover to modernity – that the patronage system has changed. 
it's no longer just kings and queens in the church uh-huh. commissioning work. There's a period of time where, and I, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to understand without having been there, but there's a period of time that they're thinking, I, I may not have a patron. Right. You know, so I'm, I'm kind of freed up there. If you have a patron and you know what patrons like, you better do that or you're not going to be able to earn a living. But if perhaps there's no patron, well, then you can break some new ground and maybe in that process, you'll find patrons. And it was interesting because they did all find patrons and they did all find generally wealthy patrons first, uh, but w- wealthy patrons who were brave enough to go out on the same limb that they were. Right. So at what point does it make the shift between, and I would say, I would guess today, most artists are creating their art and then trying to sell it. Yeah. But there still are people that are being commissioned for art pieces, obviously. Yes. Mm-hmm. At what point does it does it transition from artists being supported by patrons and uh, is there a gradual well it's it's decline in that you, you're going to see the d- decline begin early in the 1800s okay. by the end of 1800s moving toward the 20th century there's going to be a problematic zone in the last 20 30 years uh 1870 on as you go into uh 20th century that it's less sure who who's going to buy your work mm-hmm. at the same time there's also beginning to be more artists so your competition right. just got stiffer and your patronage network is drying up a bit. Uh-huh. W- where are we going to go with this? So on the one hand, as Amanda was saying- And I'm, the old art is still being preserved. So that's still that's available right. and it's, on the market. It's still there, or, exactly. So yes, I want to do something different and I want to make my own mark. But you know, maybe maybe this is the time to do it because I have less at risk. Mm-hmm. You know, Because everything's at risk. Yeah. You know? <laughs> The starving artist. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Living in the attic. That's the whole thing. All right. Well, I think I'll post both of these so people can see the mm-hmm. the original and the mm-hmm. quote copy. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Again, it's called Christ in Limbo, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I, the issue of Limbo would be a whole right. other topic. Right. We all have Bishop comment on that in the <laughs> Truth and Charity episode. Paul Cezanne. Sure. Yep. C-E-Z-A-N-N-E. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll have links for these in the description as well. Mm-hmm. So what's going on here at the museum? Uh, we have an exhibition of Indiana-based artist Dale Enix. He's actually from Fort Wayne, and he graduated <laughs> from the Fort Wayne Art Institute when there was an art institute here. It's actually the origins of this museum. So Dale is a sculptor, and he works with Indiana Limestone, and he hand-carves the services they're so beautiful. You must see them. <laughs> really, Out of really, limestone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He he goes to the quarry. He gets limestone. Uh-huh. He actually told me that he had a rock sitting at the quarry for 12 years before he was ready to start working on it. They saved it for him. Yeah. Yeah. How <laughs> big? Just keep looking at that rock. I, I pretty big. I I I don't he didn't tell me that, but um probably the size of a car. Yeah. Wow. Think minivan. Okay. <laughs> I got one of those sitting in your parking lot. Yeah, there you go. So do we. <laughs> well, and see, the, the artist will go out from the quarry and look at that lump of rock and look and look. Nah, I, I don't see I don't see what I'm going to do with it yet. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, 12 years later, you think, ah, I know what I'm doing with that now. Right. I, Michael Andrews used to talk about the form is in the stone uh-huh. and he just has to discover it. Right. I think. 
well, X-ray vision or how how do you discover no, that? Dale Dale talks about that material like he 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 needs to commune with the spirit of a material and sort of find the spirit in the material rather than impose his idea onto the material. So he's very respectful of the nature of materials and how limestone is and and not overly manipulating it. It's really fascinating. Well, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine working with something like that. And if yeah, there's a flaw in it or a crack, like you, you, you can't just do no. what you want. Yeah. You have to work with to work the with it. yeah the medium. He does it in a really beautiful way. Very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Charles and Amanda Shepard. This has been great. Again, check the description for these images and check out fwmoa.org. Stop by the museum, social media, yep. all of that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you'd like to find a guest or topic that we've covered, go to kylehyman.com and use the search bar. It's free. And until next time, remember to leave room for the Holy Spirit. <laughs>